Okay, welcome back to another edition of the Agony of Defeat podcast. This is the the quarantine edition. It's been a long, long time. I, I can't remember actually the last podcast we we did together. I, I I think that the last AOD podcast we did, Matt, was about the Astros and the cheating scandal. Oh, that's right. In, in in February. Boy, does that not seem like a big deal anymore? <laughs> I think the Astros got a lucky break. I was going to say they are. If we can talk about winners from the pandemic, the Astros might be among them. In all honesty, don't you think people are going to come back? And I mean, booing the Astros after all this just seems so petty now, right? Just, like, just so grateful to have sports and baseball back when it comes back that the Astros are off the hook. Then no, no one's going to care. All right, very good. They got lucky. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm Jonathan Weiler. I'm a professor of global studies at UNC Chapel Hill. I'm Matt Andrews. I'm a professor in the Department of History at UNC Chapel Hill, where Michael Jordan went to school. That's right. And in fact, the main topic of conversation today, I guess the only topic of conversation today, will be the last dance, the 10-part ESPN documentary Bonanza about Michael Jordan's final quest for a championship in 1998 and really a retrospective on his entire playing career with the Chicago Bulls. Yeah, and obviously couldn't have come at a better moment. We were all sports star, very little to do. You know, usually we start our our podcast with a rant, but there's just too much to rant about these days. So we're, we're, I think we're just going to get right to it. But boy, was that a welcome respite from, you know, just sort of the, the overwhelming nothingness of the past couple of months. Yeah, and, and so ESPN for five weeks, every Sunday night showed two episodes each Sunday night of the documentary, and it really was just became, in part, Matt, because of what you just said, that there is no other sports, but it became a major event. Yeah, I didn't watch any of it live, so to speak. I didn't watch any of them on a Sunday night. Where yeah, me, me, neither did I. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I got the sense that people were tuning in almost as if, it was, as if it were a live sporting event. You know, there were countdowns. Can't wait for episode seven to to start. You know, they, I just watched it a couple of days later on my laptop, which seemed fine. Yeah, and then and then Sports Talk Radio, ESPN Radio. I mean, it was it consumed the airwaves and talk about a medium that is just gasping for air right now. So this was really well, to so make that, my metaphors. It was manna from heaven. For manna them. from heaven. Yeah. As you know, I don't really do sports radio. I haven't heard anyone talk about this documentary. So these are all fresh hot takes that are coming your way. <laughs> Whereas I will be repeating stale thoughts that come <laughs> straight from sports soccer. Excellent. Now we all have our way. We all have our issues. That's right. Yeah, so, yeah. so yeah. So Matt, let's start. So just some first impressions. Tell me some things that you were most, most struck by for, for good and for bad. Well, uh, first impression was I, I was in heaven. I absolutely loved it. You know, I, I wasn't, a, I'm not from Chicago. I'm not a Bulls guy. I, sometimes I was rooting for the Bulls. Sometimes I was rooting against them. It just sort of de- depended on who they were, they were playing. So I wasn't emotionally invested that way. But as a basketball fan, I was just once again absolutely blown away with Michael Jordan's brilliance. I mean, it was just, I was awestruck by it. And not just how 
athletic and how, how much of a better athlete he was than everyone else. Just that sheer determination again and again, every single night. Uh, I was, I was impressed. So I was in heaven as a basketball fan going back, watching ev- all of these games that I saw, right? I mean, I think I saw every single one of these playoff games, certainly the NBA final games. It was a, it was a nostalgia trip, I think. Yeah. So I'm a Knicks fan. As listeners of this podcast will know. Yes. And so I am definitely not a Michael Jordan fan. I never rooted for Michael Jordan. Even going back to college, Matt, I was totally rooting for Georgetown and the Patrick Ewing group in 1982 when Michael Jordan as a freshman hit the game winning shot and helped Dean Smith win his first national championship. And in fact, and we'll talk about this later in the podcast. In all the years of watching Michael Jordan, and I watched him, I must have watched him literally take thousands of shots in the course of his career. Only one time was I rooting for a shot of his to go in, which, uh, which, which we'll talk about a little bit later. All right. Um, but, but, but so, so that's just context. Like you, I loved it. And just as a first reaction, watching video of him again, I was like, oh, right. He just moved differently than every other basketball player. And yeah, and and I think the footage that really sold me, and again, this this is our first impression. My my second impression is 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 a little less laudatory, I think, of the documentary. But but uh, talking about him as a basketball player, you know, what I never really saw too much of, and I, I watched a lot of college basketball back in the early '80s, but you just didn't have the opportunity to see Michael Jordan all that often. The footage of him at Carolina, his yeah. sophomore and junior year, oh my God, he was far and away the best player on the court. And I realized everyone, you had to take Elijah one in 1984. Right. But, and, as, as, Rod, as Rod Thorne, the Bulls GM who drafted Jordan said, look, if we had the first pick in 1984, we would have taken Elijah one too. And I suppose I would have also, that's the way people thought about basketball. You have to have a big man. But after re-watching some of that footage of of, of him, uh, he, the guy was just astounding. I mean, he just had a different gear than everyone. Uh, Matt, Matt just, 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 to, just to add on to that point, watching him, especially his, ju- his sophomore and junior year, after he grew a couple of inches, there's a great quote in the documentary from James Worthy, who was the superstar on the 1982 UNC team, his comment was, well, Jordan got to campus as a freshman, and he said, and I was better than him for two weeks. And and by his sophomore year, it's like, oh, no, no, he doesn't belong on the floor with college kids. Yeah. Like, it's not fair. It's a totally, he's just playing a different game. And, and we're talking about college kids who were NBA All-Stars. I mean, now, you know, the right. college team was so different. We're talking about that 1982 game with Patrick Ewing on the floor and Perkins and Worthy and Jordan and Sleepy Floyd and All-American guards. That's, so that's right. like Island on the floor. We don't get that in college basketball anymore. We're just not going to see games like that. No, that's true. That's true. They go straight to the pros. Right. Okay. So first take, we were, we were reminded of his awesomeness. As a basketball player, his will is absolutely unparalleled yeah. as an athlete. So we we give him all that. Yeah. And, and then the other thing I 
appreciated is that really a lot of those championships in my mind had just kind of morphed into one. They had all run to together. You have a sharper mind for years than I do when we talk about sports. For me, it's the Bulls era. And it, it was a nice reminder. Oh, yeah, this happened this particular year. You know, Hodges and Paxson, they hit shots this year and it was Kerr these other years. So that was a nice re- reminder to get, get the narrative fresh uh, once again. You know, and then... You had to ask yourself after a couple of episodes, do I like this guy? You know, do or, or maybe it doesn't matter, but I was asking my myself this question. Do I like Michael Jordan? Um, you know, I, I got a sense on social media that a lot of people were really put off by by Jordan, Jordan the the bully. Um and I, I I think if there's one thing that I don't like about this documentary, is I still don't feel like we got the truth about Michael Jordan. We didn't get the unvarnished truth because if you know anything about the documentary, you know that Jordan had final say on right. all the editing, right? I mean, nothing went in that documentary that he did not want us to see. That's some, of that, some of that stuff was a little unsavory. Some of it was a little tough to watch. He could be pretty tough on people. I'm wondering what, what we didn't see. Right. So we, we heard, we certainly heard about some of the moments that have gotten the most attention over the years, Michael Jordan punching Steve Kerr in the face in practice in 1995, his bullying of Scott Burrell, another kind of role player on those Bulls teams. So we heard, we, we got some of that. Yeah. And we did get a tearful moment from Jordan about whether he's likable and sort of the price of being as single-minded as he was. And having said that, Matt, I agree with you. We, 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 this was a curated, I think a quite carefully curated version of Jordan. One goal of which I think was to kind of bring his legend to a new generation of Sports fans. Yo, absolutely. I mean, in, in some ways, I feel like this documentary is for guys like you and me who grew up watching Michael Jordan and saw it all. But I think it's also for guys like our producer, Trey, who didn't get a chance to see Michael Jordan and for some reason thinks that LeBron James, I don't know if Trey really thinks this, but LeBron James <laughs> might be the greatest basketball player of all time. And this documentary, I think, is here to tell us, no young man. Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time. The debate starts with who's the second best basketball player of all time. Yeah. And, and, and as a LeBron fan and defender, I, I had to, the documentary gave me pause, let's say. Well, yeah, yeah. And look, man, as if we were just talking about, I, I just went for a camping trip. I don't want to go camping with Michael Jordan. I'd much rather go camping with LeBron James. Sit around the campfire right. talking. Yeah. Right. But if we're if we're at the basketball court and we're choosing up sides, I know who I'm definitely selecting. Right. You know, one thing I will say about how kind of uh, rough and 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 tough Jordan comes off in this, you know, sort of um, thinking back at this. What what I really appreciated about this documentary is that he didn't really try to rewrite his his story. He didn't try to say, you know, I did all this in the name of winning basketball, and I was pushing guys and manipulating guys. This is not what I'm really at. Like, you know, this is all in the, in, in, in the heat of the moment. No, he, he stood by it. Like, no, no, this is what I'm like. And I would do nothing differently. Okay. I did appreciate that aspect of it. Yeah. And, and, and I agree, Matt. And, and to that point, though, it was carefully curated and not the unvarnished truth. 
one of the things I liked most about the documentary was hearing from Michael. Yeah. You know, today being, you know, on camera and sort of narrating the, this history uh, uh, of the 1990s. He, he's a smart guy. He's, I think he's quite thoughtful. I mean, he, whatever he's, you know, he's never really going to admit to a fault. Right. Um, but having said that, I do feel like you're not getting pap from him, you know. So I know ESPN has announced that in 2021, they're going to do a nine part documentary on Tom Brady. And my God, I cannot imagine listening to a more vapid athlete for nine episodes than Tom Brady. And Jordan is just not like that. So, yeah. so I did appreciate him in that regard throughout the documentary. He was a little more thoughtful than I thought he was going to be. He was a little more honest than I thought he was going to be. And I completely agree with you 100%. I'm already bored of the Tom Brady. <laughs> I, I just, I don't care. I don't believe, and I'm not going to believe a single word that comes out of his mouth because he's just a curated spectacle. You know, he's not, he's not authentic in any way, shape, or form. I'm going to find out the episodes where they show the Giants beating him in the Super Bowl. <laughs> I'm going to watch those, but other than that, forget it. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, so, okay. yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so, no, let me, so one thing I feel like we have to talk about, uh, one of the more notorious moments in Jordan's public life was when in 1990, when Harvey Gant, the former mayor of Charlotte, was running against an African-American North Carolinian was running against Jesse Helms, the notoriously uh, racist senator. Yeah. And Gant had a really good chance to beat Helms in 1990. It was a close election. It was actually my first year in graduate school here. And I remember it well and how much I cared about the outcome of that election. Yeah. Jordan had not yet won a championship, but was already a superstar, was closely tied to North Carolina, of course, because of where he grew up in UNC, and was asked, to put in a word and endorse Harvey Gant and was long reputed to have said, well, no, because, quote, Republicans buy sneakers, too. Yeah. And for a long time, there was sort of a question, did he really say that? Was that an urban legend? But the documentary makes clear he did say that. And he did not apologize for saying that. Yeah, he, he said maybe he said it as a joke. Maybe he said it in jest. But he also sort of stood by it, you know, in a like, OK, whether I said it this way or that way, I, I that's that's what I thought. And he wasn't just asked to do it. He was asked by his mother to do this. He was asked by his coach, Dean Smith. You know, I mean, the man he absolutely reveres, two of the biggest, most important figures in his life, asked him to do this. Again, again, it's not just in, in the context of, of 1990, if you don't understand this, it's not just picking a, a, it's not just a political choice. It was a moral choice in 1990. I mean, Jesse Helms I totally agree, Matt. had absolute disdain for the African-American community. Um, I, I, I think if there was one section in the documentary where Jordan came off as disingenuous, it was that section. Uh, he basically said, look, I was focused on basketball. I didn't have have time. I, I'm not sure. And, I, I, Andy, Andy said, look, I'm not a political activist. Yeah. That, that's that's not how I, that's not how I 
make my views or that's not how I express myself in the world. He wasn't being asked to do too much there. I, I, I think his choice wasn't flippant as he made it sound. I think his choice was in, intentional. I mean, you know, what's the, the, the documentary? We all know this. I think it gives us a sense of that this was Jordan's MO. This was his, his, his strategy. He was going to very intentionally and purposefully avoid issues like this. I, I didn't quite buy his argument there. Well, and this, of course, in a sense, wasn't a one-off because he's also very well known for having, after the United States won the gold medal in Barcelona in basketball at the 1992 Olympics, the Dream Team, the U.S. Olympic team in 1992 was sponsored by Reebok. Jordan, of course, has the most famous endorsement relationship in world history, and that's with Nike. And so when he went up to the gold medal stand, he draped the American flag over his shoulder to cover up the Reebok logo because of his loyalty to Nike. So he was unprepared, despite the urging of Dean Smith and his mother to endorse Harvey Gant, but he was perfectly willing to make a, quote, statement That's interesting. on behalf of Nike uh, at the 92 Olympics. So that that pair of gestures and non-gestures, that, it, that does not, I don't, that does not speak well for him. Yeah. And I think if you know, here, here's one of the things that I thought was going to be in the documentary. I was looking forward to, to maybe hearing him comment on this, but it was not in the documentary at all. And I would like to know if Craig Hodges was interviewed at all for this documentary, Craig Hodges, the world's great uh, shooting guard for the, for the first run uh, that, that, that the Bulls had 91, 92 and, and 93, the best three point shooter in the NBA at that time, you know, in Craig Hodges' book, he talks about Michael Jordan wouldn't go to Martin Luther King Jr. Day celebrations. You know, he would say, Hodges, you go. That's your thing. I'm not interested in talking about this, this kind of stuff. Craig Hodges talks about a moment in his book where he tried to get during the 91 finals. He tried to get Magic Johnson. And look, it was sort of an audacious suggestion. He tried to get Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan to maybe boycott one of the NBA final games because of the Rodney King beatings. You know, in Los Angeles, as a as a, as a statement, as a gesture of frustration against racism and police brutality, Michael Jordan wanted absolutely nothing to do with that. Magic Johnson was interested; he listened, but in the end, he thought that was a little too severe. But Jordan avoided issues like this, anything that had to do with race, again and again and again. And speaking of Hodges, if I remember correctly, I think it was after the 92 championship, the Bulls' second championship and the first three-peat, when they were invited to the White House. Uh, this was when George H.W. Bush was president. Hodges refused to go and was then... Well, this may have been when he wore the dashiki, actually, and gave... Oh. We may be conflating moments. I know he went to the White House once and he wore a dashiki, which okay. turned everyone's heads. What are you doing wearing a dashiki? Okay. And he gave Bush, President Bush, a note asking okay. him to do more for the black community. I mean, that was really all the note said. Please, you're a very important person. 
uh, it's, it's a great opportunity to be here. Will you please think about doing more for the African-American community? And Craig Hodges never played another game for the Chicago Bulls. The, the, the right. Chicago Bulls were deathly embarrassed by this these actions. So I would have liked to have heard what Hodges had to say about Michael Jordan. Yeah. So um, any thoughts about any of the other players we saw profiled? I mean, there's, there is this... You know, quite interesting cast of characters, Scottie Pippen and Dennis Rodman being two of the most notable of Jordan's teammates. And, of course, a lot of attention was paid to Jerry Krause, the general manager, who built those six championship teams, you could argue. Um, and I don't know, any 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 thoughts about any of those characters? Yeah, well, there was one moment that I thought would be mentioned and wasn't, and maybe Jordan had this excised, again, because he had editorial control. You know, it just makes me wonder what was in there. But, you know, the famous story, you know, clearly the Bulls rallied around, but Michael Jordan could rally around anything, you know, a spilled glass of milk, and he could rally around that. But they clearly rallied around. Or, 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 or a confrontation with a player that never really happened. It never really happened. That, that yeah. was interesting. But yeah. they, their, their uh, dislike and their hatred of, of Jerry Krause, the, the GM. But it's a well-known story that, and John, maybe help me out, what was the year Pippen was, was drafted by the, by the Bulls? I believe it was 87. Okay, so in 87, Jordan, you know, who has a lot of cachet, he wants the Chicago Bulls to draft Joe Wolf from the University of North Carolina. A not terribly athletic, plotting, uh, okay, shooting power forward, but Jordan being a Carolina guy, you know, he's seen Wolf and he likes him. He's probably played a few basketball games with him. He wants the Bulls to draft Wolf and Jerry Krause being smarter than Michael Jordan about how to draft and how to put together it. Put together a team says, no, I'm going to use this draft pick and I'm going to trade with the Seattle Supersonics for this guy named Scotty Pippen, who I had never heard of, uh, on the day he was drafted. The day he oh, Scotty Pippen went to an NAIA school, right? Central, Central yeah. Arkansas, a, a non-NCAA school. But Krause knew about him and Krause said, no, this is the guy. And Jordan, the sort of wannabe GM was upset. Uh, I, I think, you know, Jerry Krause, got the key player to go ahead with, you know, to, to put together with, with Michael Jordan to create this, this dynasty. Now I was interested in reading, hearing about Pippen. I think if there's one person who did not come off well in this documentary, it's, it's Scotty Pippen. Uh, you know it well against the, 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 the Knicks game three of the series in 1994. Jordan's off playing baseball and Pippen's the guy now, but Phil Jackson runs a play for Tony Kukoc instead of Scotty Pippen and Scotty Pippen does not go into, to the game. I was glad they told this story. I was absolutely flabbergasted, flabbergasted when Pippen said it was unfortunate, but I do it again. I just thought to myself, what? Why would you do it again? Right. So so this is where I feel like the egos of athletes and of major public figures in general just rear their heads. I, I, I feel like people in those positions just have tremendous difficulty ever admitting that they're wrong. And I, I which is not to, is not to defend the impulse but it, it it struck me how many times Jordan was unable to ever really admit that he did something wrong. And Pippen, 
who in some ways came across as this very soft-spoken, thoughtful yeah. guy. And yeah. as you said, Matt, just before he said, I would do it again, he was apologizing for it. Right. He was almost so I, like a non sequitur than to say, but I'd probably do it again. Yeah, that didn't make any sense to me. I mean, Michael Jordan yeah. did apologize for punching Steve Kerr in the face. Yeah, that is true. You know, I went too yeah. far. I did not understand the Pippen thing. The other guy who he was not interviewed, uh, interviewed, but uh, another Carolina guy who I thought came out poorly just based on the stories was George Carl, the coach yeah. of the Sonics. In 1996, we get this story that first he pointedly ignores Michael Jordan in a restaurant before game one of their NBA series. What are you doing? Do you know anything <laughs> about this guy, Michael Jordan? I know you do. He's going to hold a massive grudge. He's going to take it to you. What is George? I know George Carl likes to think he's the smartest guy in the room. That demonstrates to me not the smartest guy in the room. And then he doesn't play Gary Payton on, on Michael Jordan. I totally forgot about that. They did not have the best defensive player in the league or one of the top five. Yeah, Jordan said Peyton didn't didn't bother me, but Peyton was a great defensive player. Why do you not put him on Michael Jordan in that series? Yeah, so that was a coaching screw up of the highest order by Carl. I will say about the incident in the restaurant, assuming it was told accurately, I did hear Joe Ovius, who's on sports radio in the Triangle, did have a funny comment last week. He's like, "Yeah, if not for that, Jordan wouldn't have been at all motivated." <laughs> For the yeah. NBA championship, returning from a three-year hiatus where he played baseball and he never worked harder. <laughs> this was where Jordan could find the most minor slight and blow it up into, you know, in a fence that you basically feel like you'd, you'd want to kill. You, you, you'd want to kill your somebody's mother over yeah. over the insult. Excellent point. Excellent point. Jordan could pretty much will himself to to do anything. What did you think about the comments we heard over and over in this documentary that from Reinsdorf, from Terry Francona, that had Jordan stuck with baseball? You know, the, the, the certain narrative was, had that strike not happened in the yeah. before, Michael Jordan would have been playing Major League Baseball in 96. Yeah, uh, I, 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 don't, I, I don't buy that at all. Neither do I. Um, yeah, so I, Bob Costas, I heard him yesterday. He had a good comment about it. He said, look, what's impressive is that having not played baseball in well over a decade and playing in double A, and I, and I didn't realize this. What we learned in the documentary was that the reason they started him in double A was that they needed press facilities yeah. big enough to accommodate the incredible media scrum that would follow him everywhere he went. And rookie ball and A ball, which is where a player like Jordan would normally start, just could not accommodate that. So so double A is that's pretty good baseball already. It's and, good, good baseball. I remember at the time being shocked they were sending him to play double right. ball. And, and so and the fact Eddie batted two oh two, which is not a great batting average, but as Costa said, I think rightly, what's impressive is that he wasn't a joke. Like right. that in itself was an impressive achievement. But whether he would have been a major league baseball player, I think absolutely no. So had he started a decade earlier, then perhaps, but then of course, as Costa said, we would have been robbed of perhaps the most transcendent athlete, you know, we've, we've ever seen. Yeah, right. It would have been like if Muhammad Ali had been a tight end or something for the Cleveland Browns. What's the point? Yeah, we definitely would have missed him. Um, That's right. That's yeah. right. 
in his, in his studio. Um, any other? Well, Matt, not, not just to go back to your Joe Wolf comment and Jordan wanting to play GM, I, I, I don't know if I agree with this criticism, but it is worth noting. Some people said, well, the documentary, among the things they left out, was any mention of Jordan in his next act with the Washington Wizards, both yeah. as a basketball player and uh, and running the team and the disastrously bad job he did running the Washington Wizards, including having the overall first pick in 2001 and taking Kwame Brown, one of the notoriously bad overall, number one overall picks in NBA history. So we did not keep, now you could argue it was the last dance. It was about, it was about him with the Bulls, but, um, I, I thought it was, you could have mentioned that postscript, except for the fact that Jordan controlled the documentary and is clearly <laughs> right. not going to. Well, yeah. I was actually glad it wasn't in there. Once I, I was looking at the time on the last episode and doing the math and I really realized, oh, they're, they're, they're not going to talk about the wizards at all. You know, I really like watching movies about, uh, rock stars like Ray Charles or Johnny Cash or the Rolling Stones. And I yeah. love the part where they get bigger and bigger and bigger and all of the parties and all of the sex and the drugs and the riding high. And I hate the last half of those movies where it's just addiction and anger and despondency. Uh, so I didn't want to see that, that part of the, the story. Um, I, mean, I was sort of glad that they skipped that aspect. Of it. right. it, it, it's not pretty. And Jordan was treated very poorly by the Wizards. I mean, he was guaranteed ownership rights, basically. And then the Fortis, I guess, backed out of that. Yeah, so, right, we did, we certainly, we see him in his final great moment, winning game six of the night of the 1998 NBA championship. I wanted to briefly mention the one time I rooted for Michael Jordan to hit a shot. Okay. It was in that final season, they played the Indiana Pacers in the Eastern Conference Finals, one of only two times that a team took Jordan's Bulls to a game seven during the championship run. I'm a big Reggie Miller guy. The big Reggie Miller guy over here. Right, right. A fellow UCLA alum. Right. So, and I forgot how good that team was. Chris Mullen and Jalen Rose and Derek McKee and the Davis guys and Mark Jackson. That team was loaded. Sure was. And in game four, the Bulls had a 2-1 lead. The game is back in Indiana. Reggie Miller hits a crazy great shot with 1.2 seconds left to give them, I think, a two-point lead. And, uh, and they, they have this great clip of Larry Bird on the sideline. He was the coach of the Pacers looking at the clock like, Oh God, I can't believe there's still 1.2 seconds left. <laughs> yeah. And then Jordan takes the ball inbounds. He's being double teamed and it's basically like a turnaround 35 footer. And I remember so vividly watching this game. And as the ball is in the air at the top of its arc, I'm thinking, I want this shot to go in because that will be so amazing if he pulls this one off. And of course, the one time in my life I rooted for Jordan to hit a shot, the ball rimmed out and the Pacers won the game. It was close. Uh, It was amazing. It was an amazing moment, even though it was a mess. And I had forgotten how great, uh, also just really how great those Pacers teams were. I mean, Reggie Miller said in the documentary, I thought we were the better team. I, I think he's probably right. They probably were better than, yes. than Yes. 
but the Bulls had the guy. Um, right. And in the end, that makes all the, all the difference. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think if there's anything else that, that I, I – I expected to be in there, but it wasn't in there. I, I suppose if there's one thing, I think people forget, and I, I wish the documentary would have done a little more with this, is what a actually what a punk Michael Jordan was considered by people in the NBA when he first came into the league. Yeah. What, what a yeah. prima donna yeah. he, he was. You know, very famously in, in 1984, where he goes, I guess. Would have been 85. He goes to the All Star game, and is, as a rookie, as a rookie, and he's wearing his his Air Jordan sweats uh, rather than his Chicago Bulls sweats. He's wearing gold chains around his neck, which we don't really think Jordan um, being that type of guy. Um, so he was standing out sartorially, and then he was frozen out by the other players, and probably, probably Isaiah Thomas being the ringleader, actually, saying this guy is too cocky. Uh, you know, he's, he's sort of too, too big for his own britches. We need, to, we need to teach him a lesson. And Jordan really resented that. We, we got the sense that Jordan fits seamlessly into the NBA in 84 and 85 when the other players really resented it. And then they just had to bow down and genuflect, I think, when they saw how absolutely remarkable a player the guy was. Right. I mean, Matt, to your point, we, what we, it's hard for us to have an image of Jordan in the NBA as anything but the all time alpha dog. Like uh-huh. the idea that he ever paid his dues. It, 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 it takes reminding. Uh, and, and, and I, you know, Isaiah, well, Isaiah is his own very interesting and complicated character, but I remember thinking at the time in 1985, I can't believe how thin skinned these guys are. Yeah. You know, that they're, that they're so unsettled by this, by this rookie because he's getting the attention he's getting. I, get, I don't know. This goes back to, just superstar athletes and their egos. It's a phenomenon that I just, I have a hard time understanding. You're a level-headed dude. Well, <laughs> being a non-superstar, it's just, uh, so Matt, one more thing I want to ask you about. I, I, I know we're, 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 we're going long, but one more thing I want to ask you about the final conversation. They've won in 98. And then we already know that the team's going to be broken up. And they asked Jordan in the present, do you feel like they could have kept the team together for one more year? The owner, Jerry Reinsdorf, said no, it was impossible. We didn't have room under the cap. It would have been too much money. I felt like Reinsdorf got off way too easily in this documentary. <laughs> Every bad decision was somebody else's fault. Every good decision was because he intervened at the last minute. An owner who basically takes no responsibility. Anyway, I could go on about that. But Jordan says, that's bull. You, I'm telling you, these guys would have stayed together for one more run. They would have taken less money. And I really, and, and to this day, I am not over the fact that we didn't try to do this one more time. This is why I just was wondering what your... Your reaction to that was? Well, my reaction at the time was I, I'm not sure if I believe it because Michael Jordan creates stories in his own head, right? And so I think he's, it's possible that he's created this story that the only reason why we didn't win seven is because someone committed an injustice. Right, right. right. Um, you know, it, it was 
I, it was so poisoned, the relationship between Jackson and Krauss, this triangle. Jackson or the square, Jackson and Krauss and Pippen and, um, and, and, and Jordan. Um, you know, Jordan's a loyal guy. Um, one of the only times I think in which his loyalty doesn't show through actually is in this, uh, Harvey Gant, Jesse Helms moment when, when his mother and his coach, Dean Smith, yeah. asked him yeah. to do something for him. Um, but I, I admire his loyalty, his refusal to play without Phil Jackson. You know, Phil Jackson is a smart dude and Phil Jackson, yeah. it, there, there's more to life than winning for Phil Jackson. And this is, but that's really saying something for something who's the, you know, the winningest NBA coach of, of, of all time as far as championships go. Sure. The guy he went to, on and won five NBA titles with another team after he but, won these six. Right? With the Lakers, and then he won two yeah. with the Knicks after that, right? <laughs> no, sorry, he didn't win any with the Knicks after that, my bad. He actually did win two with the Knicks before all that. <laughs> that's true, he won two with the Knicks before that. I got yeah. the sense in the documentary that if anyone was at peace with, with, with the way it ended, it was Phil Jackson. That yeah, Phil Jackson was like, we're done. This is not healthy. This is not good for us. Dennis Rodman is not, having him in the room is not good for me as a human being. I think I just need to move on. So I'm not sure if, 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 if Jackson was going to have any, any part of it. Your thoughts? Yeah, no, I, I, I think I agree with you. I think it was. It was already that ship had so clearly sailed. Krause had announced at the beginning of the season, this will be Phil Jackson's last season as coach of the Bulls. I still don't understand that announcement, but the fact is that those horses had long since left the barn. So I think that, as you say, Jordan, I mean, Jordan is in his life and in his inner world, he is motivated by grievance and it served him incredibly well as a player. And I'm not sure how well it served him since then. I think that's right. I think that's right. And I, I really, I found that interesting mo- that, that that last moment interesting, where Phil Jackson had the Native American ceremony, where everyone did something that's very Phil Jackson. If you know anything about Phil, Phil Jackson, that's right up his his alley. You know, I'm a Golden State Warriors guy, so I'm a, I'm a big Steve Kerr fan. Um, I, I I'm glad people were who was uh, who was prominently featured in the last couple of episodes of this documentary, including the incredible story of. His father's assassination. I'm glad people were introduced to that story because it's a remarkable story and he speaks very articulately about it. Um, I think if there's one person who clearly influenced, well, Steve Kerr learned from Greg Popovich and from Lou Olson in, in college and from, from Phil Jackson. Uh, you know, Phil Jackson was the perfect coach who just let these egos run roughshod. That, that, that moment where it's, let's let Dennis Rodman go to Vegas for 72 hours. You know, you can't even imagine many coaches doing that. <laughs> and I love when Jordan says, you can let him go, but you're crazy if you think he's coming back and so back. Yeah. That was fun. We, we've got a documentary that has what, Justin Timberlake, Carmen Electra, and Barack Obama all, all weighing in, um, on this cast of Barack, Barack Obama, former Chicago resident, as he was first introduced in the documentary. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Entertaining stuff. I, I I really enjoyed it. I'm with you that I'm I'm less interested in the uh, Tom Brady one. I think the only athlete I might be less interested in is Michael Phelps. I don't want to see an 11 part series on Michael Phelps either. Um, just very quickly, have you seen any of the Lance Armstrong one that's out right now? No, not yet. 
Okay. Well, neither have I. So maybe we need to talk about Lance next time. Okay. Yeah. Lance Armstrong would be a super interesting subject. Yeah, I think so. We're kind of turning into Siskel and Ebert. Uh, <laughs> that's all right. Trey doesn't know who Siskel and Ebert are. I don't, I don't think. Yeah. <laughs> all right. This is fun, Jonathan. Yeah. All right, Matt. We will, uh, we'll do it again soon. We hope. And, uh, this has been another episode of Agony of Defeat. You can find us on SoundCloud and other places where you get your podcast. And please do remember to like and rate. Of course, only rate if you're going to rate us highly and share the podcast. And we will talk to you next time. One last thing, Jonathan. Many yes. thanks, thanks to Trey Walker. Oh, yeah. For, for, yeah. Because, I mean, seriously, to go back to the early days, we literally did not know how to, how to press play on the re, re, recording apparatus. So it's nice to have uh, a little smarts in the room. Yes, Trey, Trey has rigged a very nice audio recording <laughs> system for us to all do this remotely. So, Trey, thanks so much. All right. Thanks, y'all. I appreciate it.